Welcome to We Are What We Buy with Dr. Michael Solomon. We'll take a deep dive to look at the patterns, habits, brands, and benefits that drive your customers to buy. The tips and concepts you'll hear on the program will have you standing head and shoulders above your competition. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Solomon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Buy What We Are. My name is Michael Solomon, and I am delighted to be the host of this show, and even more delighted that this is the inaugural show. This is the very first program, and I'm, I'm very excited about this, and I hope you will be too. I really appreciate your tuning in to check this out. And I'd like to take a little time now to, to tell you about myself and what the show is about. We have a really great topic for today, and we have some awesome guests later in the show. There's two reasons, essentially, to listen to this show, and I think that you will fall into one or both categories, because this show is for people who sell stuff. And it's for people who buy stuff. So you may or may not sell stuff, including products, services, or perhaps you work for a nonprofit, uh, any kind of organization like that. Uh, whether or not you do, you're certainly welcome here because we're also interested in people who buy stuff. And I have a feeling that's just about everybody. In this show, we are going to look at many of the reasons that we buy what we do, and, and we're going to make the point that so much of this is really important to what we are. So it's not just a matter of buying things uh, maybe to make our life a little easier, but rather the truth is that a lot of things that we buy have a huge impact literally on who we are, how we feel about ourselves, how other people look at us, and certainly how we look at, at other people. Let me give you a little quick background about myself and uh, just tell you a little bit about where I've come from and my career in studying consumer behavior. So uh, I teach consumer behavior. I'm currently a professor of marketing in the Haub School of Business at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, and I have taught at a variety of other universities, including Rutgers University, Auburn University, and the University of Manchester in England. And I'm happy to say that uh, I'm actually the author of a consumer behavior textbook published by Pearson, which is the largest selling and most widely used uh, textbook on this subject in the world. So. I've had the opportunity over many years to, uh, to really keep learning about consumer behavior and finding new ways to convince students that consumer behavior is the coolest topic and most important topic that they'll ever take uh, as students. I, I really do believe that. Um, I'm also a strong believer in making theory practical, that is applying what we know to the real world and I've had the privilege of consulting with, uh, with many different companies over the years uh, in all sorts of industries, uh, such as DuPont, United Airlines, Prudential Insurance, BMW Automobiles, Intel, uh, et cetera. So each week in this program, we are going to tackle a different topic that is relevant to consumer behavior. Uh, today, later in the show, we're going to start off with, with one of my favorite products, which is blue jeans. And everybody owns blue jeans. Everybody loves blue jeans. And, and I've chosen this particular product because I really want to convince you that, uh, that even for a, a relatively ordinary product like blue jeans, relatively inexpensive, although they're getting more expensive every day, it seems, there's lots going on beneath the surface. But essentially, let's, let's go back to the, to the premise of the show, which is that we buy what we are. And not only do we buy what we are, but we are what we buy. 
And you're going to hear me say that many times if, if I'm lucky enough to keep you as a listener. I hope I will. And uh, we're going to talk about how brands are so central to the way we think about ourselves. And literally, they help us not only to express what we want to be, but they often send us subtle messages about who we should be. And so when we look at many years of consumer research, we, we find that uh, lots of evidence that, that the products we buy actually are quite an accurate reflection either of who we are or who we want to be. So, for example, some research shows that when you look at the types of cars that people buy and you look at their personalities, in fact, there's often a fair amount of consistency there. So we tend to be uh, what we drive. You know, that's one expression we have. You are what you drive. So when you think about your favorite brands, and everybody has favorite brands, think about yours. You know, you may have certain brands that you're really loyal to. Think about what they mean to your identity. Why are they so important to you? You'll see that uh, sometimes, again, like blue jeans, uh, these don't have to be super expensive products, you know, like fur coats and fancy watches and big houses. Uh, they can be products that maybe have some emotional significance to you. You know, maybe it's an old ratty sweatshirt that you wore in college and, uh, you know, any day now your spouse is going to throw that away if you're, if you're not careful it, and on and on. So we're going to see that there are huge relationships between the way you feel about yourself that is your identity and the brands you use. And we find when we do research with consumers, it's, it's quite interesting that many people believe at some level that the products they use have magical properties. You know, there was a, there was a movie a few years ago called I Like Mike. It was about Michael Jordan and his Nikes. And, and the, the idea was that, that he could actually fly through the air and dunk that ball better because he was wearing his Nikes. Now, you might ask, why should marketers care about these relationships? And the answer is that this is probably the most important thing that marketers in any field should care about because we know, uh, you know, the first day of class in Marketing 101, you know, it, I, when I teach my students, the very first thing they learn is that Marketing is about satisfying needs. That begs the question of what are those needs? And so when we look at consumer research, what we're really looking at is how do we understand what those needs are, especially in some cases when, you know what, consumers can't necessarily tell us what the real needs are that they're satisfying. And, and in some cases, they literally don't know. So the needs that products can satisfy range from the literal to the spiritual. You know, you, you have to choose a gas station to put gas in your car to get somewhere, but you also have to choose a president, and let's not even talk about that right now. <laughs> you have to choose a religion. You have to choose all kinds of important things. Um, and uh, these needs uh, really, really span the spectrum. So... When we talk about consumer behavior, we're really talking about all kinds of products, services, and ideas. It's not just about why do we choose one brand of canned peas or one make of car over another. It also has to do with the, the services that we choose, professional services, you know, one hairstylist over another, the ideas that we choose, whether it's... Uh, uh, beliefs about uh, various social issues, uh, religion, etc. And also, if you're in the nonprofit space, you know, if you're trying to get people to do things like go to museums or donate blood or what have you, this stuff is very, very relevant as well. So there's lots of important policy issues that are related to what we do. For example, Right now, there's a lot of back and forth about vaping. You know, is that good or bad for smokers? Is that good or bad for teenagers, et cetera? And consumer researchers actually have a lot to say about that. So at the end of the day, if you're a marketer, the holy grail is brand loyalty, right? You, you want to attract customers, but you also want to keep customers. And uh, 
something you'll hear me say probably a few times uh, over other shows here is that it's much more expensive to attract new customers than it is to keep old ones. So although everybody wants to keep growing their business, the reality is that you want to learn as much as you can about your current customers, especially your so-called heavy users. And uh, we talk a lot in marketing about the so-called 80-20 rule. Maybe you've heard this. 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. And that's just a, a rough rule of thumb. So how do you maintain that brand loyalty? Well, the, the best way you can do it is to really have what many of us call a brand story. That is, consumers today, believe it or not, and this frustrates a lot of brand managers, you know, most consumers within a category really think that most of the brands are pretty similar, you know, in terms of what they do. Some may do it a little better than others, but there aren't that many differences. And, and that really frustrates managers who believe that their brand is by far the best, right? But, but the real reason that we choose one brand over another is the story that it tells. And people want to know that story, they want to know about the brand's background, and they want to identify with that brand. So the most successful brands really are those that have a very compelling story. If you look at Nike, for example, certainly one of the most successful brands out there, there's a very strong story. And in fact, new employees uh, often get uh, told the story about how the brand was invented by a, a track coach at Oregon. And he used to make the first ones in uh, using a waffle iron. And there's lots of mythology about the Nike story. And people really like that. So there's lots of ways to be attached to brands. Uh, some of them have to do with, uh, for example, your memories of your childhood, nostalgia. Uh, Disney is a good example of a brand that appeals to us for that reason. Uh, maybe your ethnic identification. Uh, for example, if you're Hispanic, you know, Goya uh, sells rice and red beans and plantain chips and things that remind you of your culture. We also talk a lot about lifestyle marketing. That is that each of us has an idea in our minds of the, the ways that we want to spend our time and money. And if you look at, for example, uh, travel marketing and resorts and other destinations, uh, a lot of the way they appeal to us, the story that they tell is based on what we call aspirational marketing. That is, it's not about who we are now, it's who we want to be and maybe some vision of a you know, glamorous lifestyle, vacationing at a glamorous resort, etc. So we're going to focus in this, in this program over the next coming weeks on what we call the deep meanings of brands. And my mantra here, and you're definitely going to hear me say this again, is that people buy products not because of what they do, but because of what they mean. And those meanings sometimes are hidden from us, but they're, they often are related to something that's going on in the culture, some kind of cultural priority. And when we look at things that are going on, for example, right now, some of the big trends that we see, like the sharing economy, maybe you've taken an Uber ride today, maybe you've stayed at an Airbnb, that's a huge disruption. Sustainability and the environment, online shopping, you know, is, is physical retailing dead? No, I don't think it is, by the way. Uh, or even something like tattooing, you know, how many, how many of you have tattoos uh, that you might not have had five or ten years ago? So consuming is also about bonding with others who, who share similar uh, preferences as you, etc. And they often, uh, we, we're going to see that these brands express cultural values and priorities. So, for example, one of our big priorities today for many of us is fitness and wellness. And when you look at success stories today, like say Lululemon, you know, which is which has succeeded in in uh, making thousands or even millions of people walk around in in yoga pants, even when they're not doing yoga, etc. Uh, you're going to see that that they have identified a an important cultural trend, and they've done a good job of capitalizing on that. 
So today we're going to talk about blue jeans, as I said, and we're going to talk first to the CMO of the big guy out there, Levi Strauss, and Levi Strauss has a long history of being embedded in our culture. Um, our guest is going to tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I've done my own work with Levi Strauss, and I've seen this for myself, that uh, that people have very strong feelings about the role that Levi Strauss has played in their lives. And our second guest uh, represents the other end of the spectrum, a brand new company, a brand new jeans company called RevTown, and we're going to have the co-CEO of that brand on there. And he will talk a little bit about uh, what his brand is doing to, uh, to make its own mark in popular culture. So that's the basic idea. Uh, again, for today, we're going to focus on the psychology of blue jeans to get us going. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at a variety of other topics. So uh, I hope you like what you've heard so far. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we will have our first guest, who is the chief marketing officer of Levi Strauss. So please stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We Are What We Buy. And in this show, we're talking about the psychology of blue jeans. Before the break, I was, I was talking about how blue jeans are such a great example of an everyday product that just about everybody owns, and yet they have enormous psychological and cultural significance. So it really shows you that even everyday products really have some profound meanings when you stop to think about it. And our first guest today is someone who is eminently qualified to talk about that, and I'd like to introduce her now. Her name is Jen Say. And she is a senior executive at Levi Strauss. She's been with the company for 20 years. In 2013, Jen became the global chief marketing officer for the Levi's brand. And in 2018, she was appointed senior vice president and chief marketing officer of Levi Strauss and Company. And so she oversees marketing for the company's entire portfolio of brands. Hi, this is Jen. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jen. 
Thanks so much for for coming on. And, uh, you know, as, as I was saying in that brief introduction, and by the way, I could have probably read about two more pages of accomplishments that uh, that you've received, such as, for example, being named one of Forbes' most influential chief marketing officers this year. Congratulations for that. Uh, it's definitely a privilege to have you here with us. Well, I'm happy to be here. I love talking about Levi's. <laughs> I'm sure that you do. And, and for someone who's been so intimately involved with the brand for so long, I'm sure you've got some great stories to tell. Um, why don't we kick things off? If you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about just what you do day to day at Levi Strauss, and then we'll get into some of the weeds about the product. Sure. As you mentioned, I'm the chief marketing officer at Levi Strauss and Company. Levi's is the best known brand in our portfolio and is certainly um, the, the lion's share or the, the, the biggest piece of the revenue. But we do have three other brands in the portfolio. Dockers, um, which I'm sure you've heard of, which is a famous khaki brand that launched in 1986 and introduced casual Fridays uh, to the market and um, really helped to drive the casualization of the workplace. And then we have two, what I would call sub-brands. They're, they're denim-based. Um, one is called Levi Strauss Signature, and that's a value-oriented proposition that's sold through Walmart. Um, and then we have um, Denizen by Levi's, which is also a value-based denim brand. Um, definitely youthful in its approach and definitely very, you know, fashion forward, um, sold in the U.S. through Target um, and in some other distribution um, outside, of, outside of the U.S. So um, I am the chief marketing officer. I manage that portfolio of brands, what they stand for in the market, how we communicate and engage with consumers, um, and I partner closely with product to ensure um, that from a product and messaging standpoint, we are breaking through to the consumer and being really consistent in who we are and what we stand for. Great. Thank you. And that's an amazing responsibility, especially considering the uh, very important role that Levi Strauss plays as I, I think clearly one of the best known brands in the U.S. and worldwide. And uh, let, let's start by talking a little bit about, about the U.S. and American culture and and clearly, Levi's have played a starring role for many years in, in our culture. You know, a lot of people, at least those of us that are a bit older, uh, we might link the 501s brand, for example, with the rebellious movie star James Dean. Um, uh, or, as you mentioned, the Dockers brand, you know, that had a lot to do with starting the custom of casual Fridays in the workplace that many people still observe. Uh, I even found a radio ad for Levi's that the Jefferson Airplane did back in the hippie 1960s for listeners old enough to remember who the Jefferson Airplane were. They, they sang a jingle about Levi Strauss. So can, can you tell us a, about a few of the most notable cultural connections the brand has had, you know, to, to what degree did the company plan these connections in, or in advance, or, or were they just luck in that movie directors and others happen to include the garments in what they were doing anyway? Is it, is it intentional, or is it something that you just kind of happens? It's a good question. I think, you know, I'll start with a quote from Bob Haas, who's the former CEO of the company, um, and a direct descendant of Levi Strauss himself. And he, there's a quote um, from him that um, Levi's is at its best when we embody the energy and events of our time. And we interpret that um, to mean today that we're at our best when we are at the center of culture, the center of the conversation, the center of the story. You've cited a few examples of that. I will cite a few others. Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen and his album Born in the USA from 1984, he donned a pair of Levi's 501s um, because they embodied these American ideals of um, optimism and inclusion and um, hardworking, um, just these amazing, hardworking, democratic ideals. Um, we dressed the 1984 Olympic team when the Olympics were in Los Angeles. That was an amazing um, cultural moment. Uh, Marilyn Monroe wore Levi's when she wore jeans and she wore the 501. Um, we have these incredible pictures of the Berlin Wall coming down. 
um, in in um, the late 80s. We're coming up on the 30th anniversary of that, and everyone atop that wall, for the most part, is wearing Levi's. Um, and you could not buy Levi's um, in Eastern Europe, in the Eastern Bloc countries at the time. They were, you know, sold on the black market. And I, while we would obviously take no credit um, for the wall coming down, I don't think it's an accident that those men atop that wall were wearing Levi's because they really, the values of the brand, it, it stands for and stood for American democracy. Um, inclusion, optimism, hope, all of these things, you know, hope for a better future. Um, and so when they celebrated on that day, they wore their Levi's. Um, you know, s these examples, Woodstock, another great example. You know, you look at pictures of Woodstock, which is happening upon its 50th anniversary um, in, in just a month. Everyone was wearing Levi's or nothing at all. And I think, you know, you ask, were these things purposeful or um, did they just happen? And I, I think it's a, it's a combination you know, from the 50s and 60s, 70s and 80s, a lot of these just happened. Bruce Springsteen just wore those Levi's. That was, you know, his favorite pair of jeans. That's what he wore. What else was he going to wear on the cover of an album um, uh, called Born in the USA other than Levi's? Because um, we too were born in the USA in 1853. Um, but I think when you think about it today, the, the world of brands and marketing has gotten so much more complicated. And so less happens by accident today. Um, and so we do have to, you know, sort of try a little harder to get those kinds of placements and to ensure that we're dressing those artists and, you know, style icons who stand for originality and individualism and um, represent what the Levi's brand stands for. Um, today, Coachella is a real center of culture moment as our festivals around the world. Um, we show up very purposefully and help the attendees, you know, customize their favorite pair of Levi's um, and, again, embody originality and individualism. And, you know, we work hard to dress many of the artists on stage. We've had Beyonce show up at Coachella and open in a pair of Levi's cut-off shorts. Kendrick has worn Levi's on stage. Uh, Vince Staples, I could go on and on um, in terms of the number of people. SZA uh, wore Levi's that we made custom for her at Coachella um, two years ago. So, you know, the world has changed and less happens by chance now, um, but we want it to still feel really authentic. Um, we look for people who are authentic Levi's brand fans, so it's not entirely mercenary. Um, and I think ultimately the goal is to put Levi's at the center of culture and kind of retain that positioning as a center of culture brand. Yeah, well, either accidentally or not, uh, there's no question that, that Levi's are, are right there. So, uh, so, you know, without giving away any trade secrets, uh, you know, thinking about today and you've given some current examples, but down the road, you know, in the near future, are there any any cultural events that people should be looking for just, you know, in the, in the short term where they're going to see Levi's play a prominent role? Well, I think music festivals will continue to be really important for us. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of Coachella next year, which is a big milestone moment. And we've been there um, for about five years now already. Um, as I said, we, we do our own event there, we customize product, we have influencers, celebrities, musicians, we have um, our own events with DJs and musicians on the Saturday, um, the first Saturday of Coachella, um, and other festivals, everything from Glastonbury to Fuji Rock and festivals all around the world, we show up and, and, um, and do a similar sort of customization experience. So that will continue to be important. Um, music is really important to us in general. We partner with artists around the world um, to dress them for their shows, to customize product for them, and, and hopefully engage their fans with the brand. Um, you know, another really important music event, um, which is less of an external cultural event, but one that we've created, is the Levi's Music Project. And this sort of marries the Levi's brand's um, kind of association with music with the company's values-driven approach. And this is a program that is that we introduced in 2015 that is all about bringing music education back to kids in schools and community centers. Um, and we'll launch our biggest program yet this year 
with Justin Timberlake, and we're super excited about that. But we've partnered with, you know, 15 artists in 20 markets around the world, everyone from Snoop Dogg to SZA to Vince Staples um, and Alicia Keys and many, many more. So um, that that's a really important um, program for us. So let me switch gears a little bit and uh, move away from the cultural impact of blue jeans to the personal impact of blue jeans. Um, over the years, I'm sure you've talked to many loyal Levi's wearers, and they probably told you some great stories about their attachment to the jeans. Can you share one or two of those with us? Yeah. I mean, there's so many stories. I get letters all the time. Um, our campaign, which is Live in Levi's, that's the sort of headline, is premised on the idea that um, you know people wear their things, but they live their lives in Levi's. And this is something we hear from people all the time. Um, and it came directly um, from a consumer when we were doing research about what our new um, campaign platform should be. Um, she literally said that, I wear other things, but I live my life in Levi's. Um, and if you work at this company, you literally cannot go into the world and not have people tell you their Levi's story. You know, the minute you tell a customs agent or a Lyft driver that you work for Levi's, they share their story with you. And I get letters every day, a few that are sort of memorable. Um, I got one from a 13-year-old girl, and she sent a picture of herself in Levi's cut-off shorts and a Levi's gingham shirt, and she told me that she would be wearing that on her first day of school for eighth grade because she had been bullied in the past in middle school and this outfit made her feel strong. It made her feel confident and strong and so she would wear it on her first day of school. Um, and I, within the same week I got one from a 75 year old man who told me he'd been wearing Levi's for over 50 years and that 501s were his favorite and he really wanted to know where he could get this one pair that he'd had um, for decades where he could get them repaired. Um, and he shared all sorts of stories with me. He'd worked in them. He'd gone on dates with his wife in them. He had so many adventures in these jeans, and they meant so much to him. Uh, my own Levi's story that I share with people um, is is always is sort of memorable. Um, I was a internationally competitive gymnast as a child, and I was on the national team for eight years. And I traveled to Moscow in 1986 for the first Goodwill Games, and I was told. If you want to trade with the Russian athletes who were the best in the world at the time, trade tracksuits and, you know, leotards, you should bring Levi's. That's what they want. They want Levi's 501. So I went with my mom to the mall and I bought about 10 pairs of very tiny 501s and I took them to trade with Russian gymnasts and they got this piece of Americana and I got a little tiny piece of gymnastics greatness. I got leotards and pins and, and tracksuits and all sorts of things. So the stories are wide ranging. Um, and I get, like I said, letters almost every day. Um, it's a remarkable brand in that regard. I, I don't think um, that is true of a lot of brands. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that that's just great stuff. And you you have uh, you have such a, a wonderful job there because uh, again you're not you're not just selling a garment you're really selling a piece of our history piece of our culture piece of who we are and you know that's what this show is all about so Jan I, I really appreciate the time that you took to to talk with us and all I can say is you know keep at it and uh, you know we'll keep wearing the jeans so thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, I hope you keep wearing your Levi's. I certainly will. Thanks for okay. having me. Well, that was great. So uh, I hope you all really appreciated some of those quick stories that Jen was sharing with us about people's attachments to this very humble product. And, and I have to tell you, just to finish this off, I, uh, I had the opportunity to do some work with Levi Strauss myself some years ago. And look at letters that she that Jen mentioned that people uh, write to the company and one that struck me was a, a woman who actually boxed up a pair of her old jeans because they were no longer serviceable and asked the company to make sure to give them a decent burial so we're gone for a break now when we come back another perspective on blue jeans Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. 
Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents, and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We Are What We Buy. Today, we're talking about the psychology of blue jeans and all of the deep meanings that are tied up in such a kind of a humble product that we all wear all the time. And and uh, all of the brands out there that have slightly different meanings. So uh, today, my next guest is, uh, is going to offer us a different perspective on this because he is creating a brand new Blue Jeans brand. And so um, he's got a very different perspective. So I'm really happy to, uh, to introduce Henry Stafford. He is the co-founder and CEO of RevTown Performance Denim. He's been in the product and marketing space for over 20 years, focusing primarily on athletic wear and denim. He spent six years at Under Armour, serving as the president of North America and CMO, and that was where I had the pleasure of meeting him initially. Prior to being at Under Armour, Henry spent almost seven years at American Eagle, where he was the chief merchandising officer, and he helped to make that brand make its mark in the denim business. And all of that experience has now brought him to this new brand, RevTown. So, Henry, thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Can we uh, start off? I want you know I want to talk about the the brand and your vision for it, but uh, let's get into the weeds a little bit and just just tell us a little more about what you do day to day at Revtown, please. Well, you know Revtown we're about a year and a half old uh, to the consumer, a l- little less than that, and so we are you know a startup in every sense of the word. And day to day. Uh, you know, it's a question we get often, but we, we are a, um, we're a startup. And so it's a grind. Um, you've got to create product. Uh, you've got to market product. And then you have to uh, figure out how to get that product to consumers. And, and the most interesting thing that I've learned is every company I've worked for, the engine was kind of built. You know, some of the, some of the engines you need to make, bigger and better, but the, the kind of the framework was there. The supply chain was there. You learn to expand it and so on and so forth. This is the first thing that I've done where we started everything from scratch. And I would say the biggest learning I've had and probably the highest level of respect that I've, I've then, you know, give to folks is it's really hard to make product. Um, you know, it's not creating a, a company that's an, an app-based technology with, you know, no, no disrespect to anyone out there, but making a physical product, that is what we probably spend the majority of our time on. Okay. Well, it's, yeah, definitely quite a challenge. And, 
And of course, you have a lot of competition. This is a very well-established category. A lot of people are selling denim. So uh, just briefly, what's, what's your unique take on the whole denim world? Well, so the premise of, of why we got started was, you know, I had spent six plus years in the athletic apparel and footwear space, and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, working at Under Armour was, honestly, it was great. It was awesome. The people were great. The, the product, innovation, the mindset of innovating, um, and the competition was fierce, and the competition was strong. Um, and so you had like this kind of culture of innovation on the product side. And what we noticed was there are these categories that people are, are, are wearing every day, using every day. And there are these markets that are just huge. The denim market is huge. 20, 25 billion just in this, in this, you know, denim industry alone in this country. And the market share is, completely dominated by five or six brands. And when you see these legacy brands that in our opinion hadn't innovated the product, maybe the way we did in athletic apparel and footwear and, but people are still spending money on this stuff. You look around and you're like, wow, someone should really innovate that product. And if they can do that, then they can put a dent in that market share and steal a few points of that market share. That's a big business right away. And that was initially kind of the back of the napkin business model of Reptile. All right. Well, uh, you know, we're focusing here on, um, you know, on blue jeans as an example of an everyday product that has these deep emotional and cultural meanings. And, you know, people are really invested in their blue jeans. So you've been in the business a long time and, you know, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of consumers and so, uh, you know, when you, when you go beyond issues like fit and comfort and so on, you know, how, how do you guys think about the meanings of blue jeans? And, you know, why do you think people are, are so crazy about this category? Well, it's a true American category. Like, you know, denim, we think it's one of, if not the, one of the great, like, fabrics of this country. And so there's history there from the gold rush to, you know, folks using this in workwear, uh, factory work, um, design. And it's one of those categories that can go from someone who's, you know, building a house or building a car to someone who's, you know, going to a fancy restaurant. It kind of goes across all of those things. And so it's this really widely used category, which we find to be awesome. Um, and you know, you're talking to guys who, you know, we were thinking about this at Under Armour. We used to wear blue jeans to, to football and baseball practice and we'd get on our bikes, we'd have our shoulder pads on, helmets on, so on and so forth. And you kind of cross-reference that with, um, you know, women on our team who might be wearing a pair of blue jeans with heels and dressing up and so forth. So there's this just kind of like end use category of, you know, um, the amount of uh, ways that this product can be worn. And that, that just offers to a, a lot of excitement. Um, and then looking at that, we are right now in this day and age where brands are challenging the legacy. And brands are challenging the legacy with potentially innovative design or better price value equipment equations um, to the legacy brands or even a better or different shopping experience. And so if you think about it, you know, whether it's on the eyewear side of, of consumer products or the mattress side or in automobiles, uh, you could go on razors, you know, personal care, makeup, lipstick, sunscreen. These new brands are challenging the Luxoticas of the world, the lens crafters of the world, the Serta mattresses of the world, the Fords, the GMs. And we believe that's going to continue to, to really expand in the market. In addition, a lot of these legacy brands are really tied into their distribution networks. Their distribution networks could be thousands of stores that they have decade plus long leases. 
stores that might be 20,000 square feet, 50,000 square feet, 100,000 square feet. They've bought fixtures and tables and technologies to, 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 you know, fill these stores. They've, they have to hire people to run these stores. And quite frankly, you know, in our research, we found the, the, the bedroom is the new dressing room. The home economy is here. Uh, it ain't going anywhere. People are leaving their houses more for experiences they are, than they are to go shop. They'd like products to be delivered to them. Uh, and they want to go out for a yoga class or a spin class or go to a whiskey bar or whatever the case that may be for those experiences. And between challenging brands, innovating product and changes in consumer behavior and where they want to shop, those are things that we're identifying um, as potential for us to really be part of. And therefore the, the amount of competitors or the fierceness of the competitors or how the resources that these competitors have shouldn't really intimidate us because our size is our advantage that we can kind of create a new business model for the consumer. All right. So yeah, clearly uh, some big disruptions in, in the way we shop. Uh, and as you point out, you know, big disruptions in terms of opportunities for, for new brands. And so, you know, one of the ways uh, that, that a new brand can gain some traction is by attaching itself to, to bigger things that are going on in the culture. And, you know, you talk about legacy brands, obviously, in this category, Levi Strauss, you know, fits that definition. And of course, uh, they've, they have had amazing connections with all sorts of cultural uh, events over, over many years, you know, James Dean, Bruce Springsteen, what have you. So, you know, thinking about the broader culture, do you, do you guys have any strategies or have you thought about how you're going to maybe attach this new RevTown brand to popular culture, you know, whether it's uh, celebrity endorsers, fashion bloggers, uh, cameo appearances in movies, and anything like that that will help you get some traction? Well, it's, it's a slippery slope. And, you know, we certainly have kind of folks who have been part of how we've launched. A, a number of those have been athletes. Some have been influencers. And, you know, the, the, one of the movements in marketing and advertising is, is connecting um, your brands to really influential people out there. Uh, however, brands are most powerful. And to me, they have the longest staying power when, you know, really influential people also adopt the brands. And so, you know, you could have a new brand out there and say, all right, we're going to go sign up with a celebrity and that celebrity is going to help us launch the brand. Uh, to us, it's more powerful and there's a longer staying power when you have really influential people who are like, this brand is amazing and I've got to wear this stuff. So we're trying to strike a balance between those two, um, do it so it's not disingenuous. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to market it out there with influencers where, where you'll probably feel us is more on, you know, uh, what we would call micro influencers, local heroes, folks who may have uh, a great following, but it's not someone who's, you know, got 15 million people following them. Um, so we want to build that kind of from the grassroots, if you will, on the bottom up. Uh, not to say we won't, we won't go after opportunities on the you know, I would say on the higher celebrity side or on the athlete side, but we want to build it from the ground up uh, on that influencer level. Yeah, I think you're making a great point. And, you know, I even see this uh, with my with my students at the university. You know, there's a lot of skepticism about paid endorsers these days, and I, perhaps their days are numbered. Um, you know, how do you uh, clearly that kind of organic uh, you know, endorsement is, is a lot more powerful. Um, how do you guys get that engine going though? You know, are you, are you, are you uh, showing up at events and uh, asking people to try on the pants and so on? I mean, what, how do you, how do you grease the wheels? Well, so I think the first thing is there's, there's two ways in which we look at it, whether we're perfect or not. Uh, we have tactics to drive awareness of, all right, what is RevTom? What is this brand? What are they doing? I keep hearing about them. And then there are other tactics to drive traffic. And we probably, you know, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, we spend a lot of our time on building the product. We probably spend just as much time on 
all right, how are we driving in, how are we driving awareness to this brand? And also how are we driving traffic to our website? Um, one of the things that took us about a year um, is we built this thing called the digital tailor. So one of the biggest problems in denim for both men and women is, you know, I don't know what brand fits me. I don't know my size. Um, so we spent a year building an algorithm that if someone puts their height and their weight into our website, clicks on a couple of different attributes with 95% accuracy, we can get them in the right size. Our return rates since launching the digital tailor are south of bricks and mortar averages and they're continuing to improve as our algorithm gets smarter. And so that type of trust that you build with the consumer, it's kind of a conversation. It's, hey, check out our brand. We're going to offer you amazing style and quality. It's going to be at a really great price. And we're going to get you in the right pair of jeans. The feedback we've had on that has been awesome. And so to me, that's kind of really playing into being part of and trying to be a leader of this home economy where people want to touch and feel things at home. They want to experience them on their phone or on their computer more likely on a mobile device and they want to get it. They want to try it on and they want you to be right. And if not, they're going to let you know by returning it. So those have been some big ones for us. All right. All right. Um, and, and real quickly, cause we're, we're out of time, but uh, where, where are we going to be able to find your, your brand? So our website is revtownusa.com. Uh, you, that is where we drive the lion's share of our revenue. Uh, we're also found in uh, Nordstrom.com. Uh, we're uh, with Trunk Club, uh, which is part of Nordstrom. And we're in Nordstrom stores across the country. Uh, I certainly wish you, the, wish you the best. And this, this was a great chat. Uh, I really appreciate your coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, I think we all wish you luck. And we're all going to be, be looking for, for this new product. So uh, that's all the time we have for today. And uh, thanks, everyone, for, uh, for listening. Um, I welcome your comments. Please send me suggestions for future show topics. Reach out to me with, with any comments or questions at michael at michaelsolomon.com. And remember, we are what we buy, and we buy what we are. See you next week. Thank you for listening to We Are What We Buy. Please join your host, Dr. Michael Solomon, again next Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a winning week.